Welcome to Feeding the Flock and our expositions through the book of Ephesians. We are currently in chapter 5 at verse 22. Hello, I'm Glendale Tony. I'm glad you joined me today for this Bible study. Why don't we begin reading right away in verse 22 of chapter 5 of the book of Ephesians where Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes this. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. So this last um, couple of paragraphs in chapter 5 actually is a part of a bigger picture, you might say. Uh, and we have uh, talked about this before, uh, but as an introduction to this particular passage, we need to understand that uh, Paul has already talked about much of the doctrinal aspects of our walk with Christ, and uh, that was in chapter 1, 2, and 3. And then chapter 4, he gets into the more practical side of the application of what this means to our relationships uh, to Christ himself and to each other and to the body of Christ, that is, the church. And uh, that is referred to as our walk, at least in the middle part. Uh, now, later on in chapter 6, verse 10, uh, we find that we are to uh, have an, a certain attitude toward the enemy that we uh, have incurred because of Christ and because of our relationship to Christ, then we also share the same enemy as the Messiah, as Jesus um, has faced. And so uh, our, our life in the world is the uh, section that we're in currently that began in chapter 4, verse 1, and continues on through chapter 6, verse 9. And that life in the world, our conduct, the application of the way that our life should look like, our lifestyle, our pattern of living, our decision-making, our priorities, our relationships, all are framed by these uh, these words, um, 
that uh, includes uh, our worthy walk in the first half of chapter 4, and then our different or our distinct walk in the last half of chapter 4. The first half uh, and uh, larger uh, in, of chapter 5 is the loving walk, and now we're going to talk about the wise walk in chapter 5 and verse 15. That wise walk includes being careful as well as being filled. And um, uh, being filled started in chapter uh, 5, verse 18, where it is being filled with the Holy Spirit. And that, uh, that filling work of the Holy Spirit has resulted in several different aspects and several different um, uh, directions, you might uh, say. Uh, the first direction has to be with speaking to each other as well as singing worship to God and giving praise to him uh, as a congregation and as individuals. And that's verses 18 and 19. And uh, another part of being filled with the Spirit has to do with giving thanks. Thanksgiving should be a part of the filling work of the Holy Spirit. And finally then, uh, our submission, our character in terms of submitting to the proper authorities, submitting to the proper uh uh, things in society around us, and especially in regards to uh, to uh, to husbands and wives, children and parents, and uh, servants to their masters or employees to their employers, and uh, that's coming up later in future episodes in the in the uh, next chapter six. But uh, this is a part of what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and I just want to. Uh, um, just remind you of this context because uh, much of the time we associate uh, being filled with the Holy Spirit by by some sort of uh, uh, reaction that we are supposed to have uh, in the congregation or in the churches or in public when uh, the Holy Spirit takes over and takes takes control of us that uh, we expect something uh, maybe more dramatic or maybe uh, something related to uh, being thrown in the floor or knocked down or maybe something in relation to something more miraculous in terms of expressing uh, speaking in a, a foreign language uh, miraculously. It might be uh, any number of these things that we might associate with being filled with the Holy Spirit. And yet what's fascinating to me, in this passage, being filled with the Holy Spirit results in these particular things that has to do not with, with the performance of miraculous deeds or miraculous activities, or necessarily in regards to um, uh, the things we, would, we might uh, associate with dramatic uh, work of the Spirit, but instead with this, uh, what, we might associate as being just pretty natural kind of responses in our social interaction um, as a congregation. And that includes the way we speak to each other, the way we sing and give praise to God, the way we give thanks to God, and in the way we submit to the social structures around us, because this is the way we have been designed to do. And this is the way the Holy Spirit fills us to do, that those things Things that seem rather uh, innocuous or seem rather uh, uh, natural or seem rather unmiraculous uh, in many, many regards, we wouldn't associate that. But in this regard, it is a part of 
the filling work of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, in this context, um, it, he begins by addressing wives, be subject to your own husbands. And I know that the, there will be much pushback and much uh, argumentation, perhaps, even by fellow believers about this phrase and about what this whole passage is about. But I want you to notice, first of all, right off the top here, that the Holy Spirit is inspiring Paul to write directly to the wives. Notice that the Bible and the and the uh, New Testament and the uh, the author Paul uh, and the Holy Spirit Himself does not uh, start with addressing the husbands, telling them you need to be the boss of your family. Notice that isn't the way this is begun. That is an illustration, perhaps, or an indication, um, rather, uh, that. Uh, that the Holy Spirit and the New Testament and Paul in particular is not as uh, misogynistic as he's accused of being, and he's not as narrow-minded uh, conservative as you might think he might be because he chooses to address the wives directly. That gives them, uh, that gives uh, the wives to be the um, of equal status. You see, he doesn't have to go through the masculine gender to get to the wives in order to apply the scriptures. He goes to them directly. They have the dignity and the honor of being directed with this kind of instruction. So he says, uh, wives be subject to your own husband as to the Lord. And I know that many uh, uh, very uh, uh, honorable type people uh, would uh, take objection to that because now we perhaps live under a, a, a new uh, uh, a new kind of uh, principle and uh, a bigger understanding of what uh, equality means or what equity means. And, and since we know what equity now means in our culture today, then, uh, then we go back to Scripture and we say, well, this, uh, this can't be what uh, the Spirit of God intended. This can't be what Jesus wanted Paul to say. This is just Paul's uh, conservative beliefs leaking out, and, uh, or this is just the, the, uh, the culture of the day being uh, transposed into uh, what uh, many people think would be the word of God later. And uh, there's all sorts of reasons why people want to just disregard these kinds of instructions. And, uh, and yet we have to uh, uh, come to a realization that uh, these things are just as much inspired by the Holy Spirit to be written down for our instruction, even today, regardless of our culture and regardless of our understanding, regardless of what we might give as our impressions of things, we still have to come back to exactly what the scriptures teach and not our impressions and not uh, um, our ideas that we have adopted from our culture. So this is a part of what we are to play out. And these are the, the, the gender-specific roles that, uh, that the scriptures have for us. It says, wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. That doesn't mean that we obey our husbands, uh, wives, uh, just like uh, uh, we would obey the Lord. But it does mean as a part of following the Lord, as a part of 
who you claim Jesus to be in your life, then that should affect the way you behave in your family structure or in the role in which you play. And uh, so that the family structure, the husband and wife structure, you might say, um, isn't uh, the imposition of Western civilization upon uh, husbands and wives, but rather this is the the word of God. And this is uh, beyond culture. This is above culture. This is instead of culture. And uh, it is a bigger picture than that. And we'll get to that in a moment. It says, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is, is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. So he gives and brings this illustration. It has nothing to do with the culture. It has nothing to do with the impressions we might have of how husbands and wives should relate to each other. He brings it directly to the picture of Jesus and his church, that Jesus has... has uh, is the head of the church. But what's interesting is even in this phrasing of calling Jesus the head, he doesn't necessarily even um, make the argument about Jesus being Lord and master of the church, but he is the head as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. So he makes his argument based upon the saving work of Christ and not necessarily upon the authoritary work of Christ. Uh, And um, that's very fascinating to me. So the saving work is what brings Jesus into the lordship work, the master work, or that is the headship of his bride, and so that should be reflected in every uh, husband and wife that chooses to honor the Lord in their marriage. We'll be back right after this break. we're back. And um, we're still uh, talking about this fact that that Christ is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. Verse 24 of uh, Ephesians chapter 5 says, but as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. And um, what's interesting is this the use of this term subject or submit uh, has nothing to do with what people think it does. And that, uh, that is, they try to make you think that this mean, this means the, the wives are to just uh, be uh, like floor mats or, uh, or slave servants and uh, um, that sort of thing. What's interesting is it's a very unique word that has to do with the playing a role or giving a certain status in a role. And um, that's completely different than, uh, say, for instance, the verb that's used or the words that are used in chapter 6, verse 1, when it talks about children obey your parents in the Lord. And um, 
That is a different word. The idea of obedience is different. Uh, Again, chapter 6, verse 5, when it talks about uh, servants or employees to employers, it says, slaves be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh. That's a different word. Wives are not instructed to be obedient, but they are instructed to to do this role of being uh, subject to their husbands. That means to defer to them, even though they might might not uh, uh, be obedient per se, uh, or necessarily be characterized as as uh, constantly obedient, but rather they are uh, 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 showing deference. They are showing respect, and that's what's involved here. And it's all important how you look at this passage, and um, it's important also that we not use uh, old old terms or old fashioned ideas that didn't really come from the scriptures. It may have come from, uh, from older ideas of our own culture about husbands and wives. And uh, uh, the husband's supposed to be the boss of the family. And uh, because of that, then he rules the family and, and everybody else just uh, obeys him. And yet uh, that is not uh, exactly what Paul is getting at here, and that's not what he endorses here. And um, but he does endorse the fact that there is a certain order because Jesus is Lord, and um, and so yes, because Jesus is Lord, then the male there is a masculine role and there is a feminine role that reflects the role of Jesus's work with the church and the church's work with Jesus. And uh, that is now the new metaphor that's now brought into play of biblical husbands and wives and their relationship to each other. And I know many people will want to turn to uh, passages like Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. It says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, uh, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That is true. And that spiritually speaking, we are all on equal footing in terms of what saves us or who saves us and and uh, uh, by the filling of the Holy Spirit is equal, by the work of the Holy Spirit is equal, but the role that in which we play that uh, equality out uh, is still distinct. In other words, uh, there were still Jewish believers and Gentile believers. It doesn't erase all ethnic decisions just be, or, or eth- ethnic distinctions just because person uh, trusted Jesus and uh, neither slave nor free man. The idea of certain people being in uh, the employ of other uh, people didn't necessarily change uh, in certain structures in society and certain um, uh, kind of uh, relationships in w- the workplace still didn't change, but it meant that regardless of what you carried out in your role in society, your equality was based upon the blood of Christ, upon his death for your sins, and that was equal. The The Holy Spirit uh, placing you into Christ is equal, and um, and yet it doesn't erase or or eliminate the role that uh, that husbands and wives carry out in their own marriage so he 
he uh, talks about this fact, and it goes in verse 25 with husbands. And what's interesting is he spends about three and a half verses talking about wives and their reflection of this relationship, but he spends several verses uh, talking uh, to the husbands about their responsibility. And so that is what we want to focus on. It says, husbands, love your wives. And that's the word agape in the Greek. That's the word that refers to um, or placing a value in your wife and uh, giving her honor. That's exactly what uh, what uh, Peter talked about. Honor your wives uh, and uh, as, as fellow heirs of the kingdom. But there are still these uh, responsibilities that we carry out uh, distinct, uh, distinctly uh, between different uh, different uh, uh, genders within the marriage. It says, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. You see, there is a saving work that Jesus did for his church. So therefore, gentlemen, you are to treat your wives with the same kind of affection, the same kind of value that you place in her. This isn't just romance. This isn't uh, um, just falling in love with, uh, with a wife. This is exercising the agape love. This means making a decision to place value in your wife uh, in a certain way, in the same way in which Christ did and gave himself up for her. He was willing to lay down his life to meet the needs, the true spiritual needs of his bride, uh, the church. And uh, and he continues on with this metaphor, so that he, he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. He's talking about the word of God. He's not talking about water baptism. He's talking about the word of God now sets the church apart as Jesus's bride. Jesus is is the new groom, and he uses not only his death on the cross to pay for her sins, but he uses the word of God to cleanse her her lifestyle, cleanse her mind, cleanse her her walk. And that is now uh, a picture of the husband's responsibility. And uh, uh, with Uh, with his wife. It says, verse 27, that he might uh, present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any any such thing, but that she she would be holy and blameless. So that's part of Jesus' responsibility. Notice this isn't about necessarily about Jesus bossing people around, even though he is Lord. This is about him doing the work of meeting the deepest spiritual needs. And that now has been transferred and delegated to the husbands to do that work uh, with their wives that Jesus is doing with the church. By the way, that includes the husbands. And so even the masculine gender and even the husbands are to learn how to submit uh, to the lordship of Christ, submit to the work of Jesus in them as the church. So in some regards, Husbands are to take on a feminine role with Jesus and uh, with his lordship, with his, with his work on their behalf so that he can cleanse them. He can set them apart by the word of God. And so husbands, you need to set yourselves apart to the word of God so that the word of God can fill you and cleanse you so that you can do a better job at, uh, at um, feeding the word of God to your dear uh, wives. And so he says, 
So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. Why? Because the church is Jesus's body on earth now. That is a part of what the work of the Spirit of God has done for them, is, uh, is to make us all members of the church. And he's already talked about that earlier in uh, the book of Ephesians. And um, that uh, Jesus has become a curse for us so that we can serve one another, according to Galatians chapter 3 and Galatians chapter 5. So that husbands then are to place the same kind of value in their wives. And um, as uh, Jesus does. And uh, in some ways, he says, uh, you wouldn't do things to damage your own body, uh, gentlemen, and, he, and, he, and you, so that you wouldn't, uh, wouldn't do that to the detriment of your own physical um, uh, health. Uh, neither would you do that uh, to your wives because they are now a part of your body. That is part of what marriage is. And so you treat them with the same kind of respect the same kind of honor, the same kind of love and attention and tenderness, and the same kind of value that you would place even in your own physical body, just as Jesus did to his church. And he continues on uh, in verse 29, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church. Again, he brings this metaphor into play as to the way in which uh, husbands and wives should should take on their certain distinguishable role, and um, and then he quotes uh, from verse thirty all the way back. Uh, from the uh, New Testament, in fact, from Genesis, where it says in verse 30, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. By the way, this is the same passage that Jesus himself quoted to define marriage. And if you are to claim Jesus as your Lord, then then let's do that. And let's make Jesus the, the definer, the designer, the, the, uh, the dictionary for our marriages because he quoted from Genesis in order to define what a marriage is. There may be lots of relationships you have that are not marriages. There's only one kind that qualifies as a marriage, and that's uh, when, a father, uh, when a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife to uh, this is a masculine role and a feminine role here and it says and the two shall become one flesh that refers to the unity that only a man and a woman can have together in the union of marriage and so he continues on this mystery is great but I'm speaking with reference to Christ in the church so again now Paul brings a this additional metaphor uh, of marriage uh, uh, based upon Jesus's relationship to the church. This is an invisible oneness. This isn't a physical, physical or a sexual oneness necessarily. This is something that Jesus has established with his bride, and therefore, husbands, you are responsible to establish it with your bride the same way. And so it's, it's a, this is a great mystery. We can't figure it out, but it is still a part of the definition of what a Christian marriage should be, a biblical marriage should be. He says, um, verse 33, nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself. So that's the value. 
we value our wives the same way Jesus values his church. We value our wives the same way we would value ourselves because it it works for the benefit of everybody and the family as a whole. And the wife see to it that she respects her husband. So uh, these things from the scriptures, these things from the Holy Spirit, he took these things that that were, were to last throughout every culture, every ethnic group, Every um, everything that is touched by the the washing of the word of God is to transform our thinking, even in the most intimate relationship between a man and his wife. A man and a woman in marriage is defined by Jesus. It's defined by the Bible. It is defined by the work of the Holy Spirit using Paul to do so. There were lots of other cultural idiosyncrasies by the hundreds and thousands that uh, that the Holy Spirit completely left out of the scriptures, but when it came to this um, this area, this sphere of, of relationships, he chose to go with Jesus' own words in quoting the original design for marriage out of the story of Genesis, and that is still the same thing today in our culture and any place else in which people desire to walk with Christ in their marriages. Father, thank you for these moments together. Thank you for these words from your word. And I pray that your Holy Spirit can fill us and equip us to prepare us and transform us to walk with you as husbands and wives to reflect Jesus and his church in our home. In his name we pray. Amen. I hope you enjoyed our presentation today. This is Glendale Tony. Join us again for the next episode of Feeding the Flock.